I want to read to you from Ephesians 5 this morning. We're going to be going in depth in this passage in a couple of weeks, and uh, so these two weeks are in essence a, a setup, a foundation for what we will be dealing with. But I simply want to uh, read to you from the last uh, Part of the section on wives and husbands. So beginning with verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, the, <clears throat> the subject of husbands and wives, of your glorious creation is a joyful one. Will you help nothing, no political issues, no uh, issues in our society, no issues in our family, help nothing to steal that joy from us. And Lord, today I would ask that whoever we are, that you would, if we have come in today with a chip on our shoulder, that you would, you'd remedy that. Whether it's because of struggling with same-sex attraction and and how one has been treated, or whether it's because of disruption within a family, anger even, or whether it's political, whatever it is, Lord, will you cause us to simply listen to you and know that by your Spirit is how we are to walk. And so we ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I saw an article this week in, entitled, The Man Who Could Redefine Marriage. Now, I want you to know it was speaking of one of our Supreme Court justices. I love our country. I think while it has its, the government has its imperfections, it's the best set up as far as I know in the world. We have great freedoms to worship like we are right now because of where we have been blessed to live. And so I don't mean any disrespect at all by this statement. 
But know this, even if the Supreme Court of the United States were to redefine marriage, even if a majority of our Congress were to redefine marriage, even if a majority of our states were to redefine marriage, it will not change my view of marriage one iota because it has been defined by the one who created it. And so that's where we must begin. No vote, no court, no Congress can change the Word of God. I don't say that with belligerence, but with humble gratitude that God has seen fit to be so clear on that issue. Before we get to the Scripture, I want to speak first to those of you here in the sanctuary or who will be listening to this who have same-sex attraction. I'm deliberately using that term and I'm using it because as I read from an author named Sam Alberry, who wrote just a fine book called Is God Anti-Gay? He himself is a Christian who experiences same-sex attraction. But he refuses to define himself in that way. And he does not call himself gay because he says in, the, in our Western culture, that term, and I'm quoting, often refers to far more than someone's sexual orientation. It has come to describe an identity and a lifestyle. In other words, actions, what you're, what you're doing, not just what you feel, but what you actually carry out. And so he recommends using primarily that term, same-sex attraction. So if you have same-sex attraction, I want to say this to you first of all. It is likely, it is possible that you have heard hateful things about you, either directly to you or about people like yourself. That is neither Christian nor worthy of followers of Christ. I'm convinced one reason why many professing Christians tend to be more judgmental toward those with same-sex attraction is because that's an area they're simply not tempted by. And so they don't get it. And so it's easy to become disgusted by that which you happen not to be tempted by. In other words, they may look at some of the lists in the Scriptures of of sins and things that God condemns, uh, like Romans 1, where it condemns same-sex 
activities. But in that very same passage, it follows immediately with this phrase, describing people that are in the same category, in in the same dangerous relation with God. It says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. They are gossips, slanderers, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless. And so some will begin and read and say, yes, yes, that's terrible, that's terrible. Uh, uh, Homosexual activity is an awful thing, but gossips, oh, come on, everybody does that. Now, that's not right. That's not a defense. But I'm afraid too often that happens. They don't condone the latter sins, but they at least understand them because they're they're tempted by them. And they can see that temptation. Here's the thing we need to remember. All of us have choice sins. Sins that you tend toward. Sins that you may even be oriented toward. All of us have them. And all of us are called to struggle against them, whatever they are, and to walk by the Spirit. You might have heard some Christians, you who have same-sex attraction, you might have heard some Christians tie the natural disasters of like things like Hurricane Tr- Katrina. When that, when that happened, there were those that said, well, because of what went on in that city and they're, uh, they're overlooking and condoning homosexuality, that's why it was hit so badly. Those who make such proclamations are mistaken. We must not presume to speak for God except when He has spoken in His Word. Homosexuality is a sin. So is homophobia. Or maybe you've heard joking that is not appropriate. If you've experienced any of those things I just mentioned, and if any of it has been by members of this church, as the pastor, I ask your forgiveness. That's not acceptable. That attitude is not taught from this pulpit. And it is sin. But whatever you do, do not judge Jesus by his followers. Too often, we are not a right reflection of who he is. In terms of my attitude, I want you to know this. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, 
you're welcome at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. Let me answer whether that's the case by using a real-life example. This was in a previous church, but if it happens here, the person would receive the same answer. I got a phone call from a young man who had been visiting the church where I was the pastor. And we talked talked for a moment about nothing, and then he said, uh, Pastor Weldon, I, just, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. And then he began to tell me the lifestyle that he struggled with. It was not simply same-sex attraction that he struggled and resisted, but he fell into that, the activities again and again. He told me things I would not say out loud in a group like this. I let him talk for a few minutes. And then he said, I just needed to tell you that. I don't know if I'm welcome here anymore. And I said to him, I'm glad you're coming to our church. And I hope you will keep coming to our church. How can we walk through this with you? There was silence and then there was weeping on the other end. I want to affirm some things to you who have same-sex attraction. You are a special creation of God. Now, I say that to those who don't struggle with that as well. You matter to God because you are made in His image. That's true for you as much as for those who do not struggle with it. All of us have diminished that image in some way, but His image remains on you. But I need to tell you this. There's only one place you will find that truth. And it's not in the marketplace It's not in a political party. It may not be in your family. Those truths are only found in the Word of God, in the Bible. And so to reject the Bible's views on marriage is to reject the one place where your value and worth before God is made clear. You cannot pick and choose and throw out things because they are uncomfortable. Because you will lose those things which you love about the Word of God as well. Now, if you're thinking, I wish I was in such a a church where 
they understand and they accept me as I am. Please know this. A church that tells you what you want to hear because it fits with your present lifestyle. A church that says whatever your natural inclinations are, go with those, is not doing you any favors. They have taken the Bible from you. Don't look for comfort in a church that will ignore the the clear and absolute Word of God. Trevin Wax, looking at the big picture, said this, churches that accept society's dogma on marriage and sexuality may think of themselves as affirming. We've all heard that. Oh, that church just affirms everyone. But the global church sees them as apostate. Meanwhile, it is the height of imperialistic narrowness for a rapidly shrinking subset of white churches in the West to lecture the rest of the world, including those places where Christianity is exploding in growth or where Christians are being martyred, to lecture them on why they are wrong and how everyone else in Christian history has misread Scripture regarding the meaning of of marriage. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying the the ones in our country, it's a, a small and shrinking group within the church. Who are they to lecture the rest of the world and all of Christendom down through the centuries to say you're wrong and we're right? How arrogant would that be? Finally, if you're tempted to deduce this from what I've just said about you being a special creation and and made in His image, if you're tempted to think, well, then He'll accept me as I am with same-sex attraction. He would want me to follow my inclinations. If He gave me this orientation, I should pursue it. That thinking does not follow. And I would say the same thing to those with opposite sex attraction. I would tell them to follow uh, their uh, natural orientation or uh, inclination without restraint is a dangerous place to be. Everyone has some temptation that is outside of God's explicit will that we must put under the, under the domination of the Holy Spirit. For some, it could be drug abuse. Some might have physical inclination toward alcohol abuse. For some, it's pride. For some, it's gossip. For some, it's unfaithfulness to their spouse. That's a natural inclination. In fact, let me just speak for myself. My natural inclinations don't lead me to be a faithful husband don't lead me to live a chaste life. They don't lead me toward godliness, but my natural inclinations lead me away from godliness. So I can't just follow my natural inclinations. Same-sex attraction 
is not a sin in and of itself. It's a temptation. The sin comes in when one acts on that same-sex attraction. So it is only walking in the Spirit under the authority of the Word that those things will ever happen. Now, I've said all of this to you in the sanctuary who struggle with same-sex attraction or you who are listening online. I've said all of this so that hopefully now we can all hear the Word of God. In terms of the foundation of marriage, let me again quote Sam Alberry. As someone who lives with homosexuality, I've found biblical Christianity to be a wonderful source of comfort and joy. God's Word to me on this issue at times feels confusing and difficult, but it is nevertheless deeply and profoundly good. The Gospel of Jesus is wonderful news for someone who experiences same-sex attraction. Let's look at that precious Word that teaches this simple... This, I'm going to give you one sentence that summarizes it. This simple but profound truth. Biblical marriage is one man and one woman. We're going to look at it in Genesis. And we're going to hear what Jesus says and Paul says. First of all, in Genesis 1 and 2. God created male and female. I'm going to go through this very quickly. God created male and female. Chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. This is rooted in creation itself. It is not a cultural phenomenon. It is some, it's not something that was invented in America. It's our country, part of the Western world, that's trying to ignore the very uniqueness of God's creation. Is it any wonder that there is so much gender confusion in our country. We see it on the, on the news virtually every single day. Is it any wonder when we haven't gotten this one fact straight of how God created us? And then He gives a reason. He created male and female. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And there it is. The purpose of the creation of male and female was companionship and multiplying and filling the earth. In God's design, this multiplying and filling the earth could only be accomplished with male and female. Now, with or without the Bible, 
people around the world down through the centuries have understood this. You can make the natural argument. What we are seeing is God explaining this for our benefit. Now let's look closer at the creation of male and female in chapter 2. Verse 18, Then God, the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. Now, this followed all of the benedictions. A benediction, think of it this way, bene, good, diction, word, good words. So when we do, do a benediction at the end of uh, our worship service, we are pronouncing a good word. Well, as God created, He pronounced again and again the good word. He said, it is good, it is good. It is good. And then he pronounced the first malediction. Bad word. It is not good that man should be alone. And there is that need for companionship. So God, in verse 18, I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see uh, what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. This is a boy's dream, isn't it? All these animals around. And you get to name them. God brings them along. Name it. Whatever you want to call that. That's what we will call that. How much fun would that be? But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Man was in need. There was none found suitable. Verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he slept, took one of his ribs, and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman (coughs) and brought her to the man. Adam had seen it all. Everything was brought before him. He could have fellowship with all of the creatures, the dogs, the horses, certainly He could have fellowship with God. He could have fellowship with His plants. Do you talk to your plants? If it's not a one-way conversation, don't tell me about that. I'll send you to counseling. (laughs) He could have all that fellowship. But God made man in such a way that there was only one more creation that could fulfill his need for companionship and fulfilling God's command to fill the earth. And God graciously created the woman. She was created like man, but different. Verse 23, then the man said, this is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Do you see what's happened? He he didn't have that reaction ever. 
I'm sure he was enjoying it, going, hey, this is great, you know, this is fun, I like my life, and so on. And then, in the Hebrew, this, where it says, this, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of mine. It's an exclamation. This is, this is wow, when he saw the woman. And let's just put it this way. It wasn't because of the nice dress she had on, okay? <laughs> so he sees the woman, he exclaims, he, he, I think he goes into worship. At last, God. This is thankfulness. Some mistakenly think that this somehow puts a, a, a woman down. It's just the opposite. This, the way she was created, if anything, it raises the dignity of the woman. Here we have this magnificent creation that is incomplete until the woman is created. If Adam was the king of creation, Eve is the queen. The dignity of man and woman are right here from the beginning. And then marriage is instituted for man and woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I want you to remember that phrase. Remember that phrase. The one flesh is not speaking only of a physical act. It speaks of an intimacy that is designed for a man and a woman within the context of marriage, and it does include the physical act that's illustrated and consummated within that act. But here's the thing. If God had wanted to set up a scenario for same-sex marriage, for mankind, even as an option, the whole creation story would have had to be very different than what is recorded in the Word of God. Now I realize that, that some uh, here or who are listening will say, well, that's Old Testament. That view of marriage is outmoded. Come on, we, we don't even believe the creation that way anymore. First of all, let me tell you what we call this. We call it a creation ordinance. A creation ordinance is something that is set into place during creation that will last forever until and unless God changes it. And that's what marriage is. Right there. Rooted in creation. Until he says differently. Not only that, but that exact view is affirmed by Jesus. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. It says this, verse 3, And Pharisees came up to him, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's 
wife for any cause. Now next week, this is uh, 19.3 in Matthew. Next week we're going to be talking about the biblical view of divorce. So we won't go into that this week. But look how Jesus answered. He's asked about divorce. He answers, verse 4, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, see if this sounds familiar, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 5 says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. The therefore is based on what he had just said. What he had just said was this. So the leaving the father and mother is get married, basically. What he had just said is, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus defined marriage as between one man and one woman. And then the Apostle Paul. I read earlier verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Now some are quick to say that when Paul talked about marriage, it was conditioned by the culture of that day. It's outmoded. We can ignore it. Well, here's what we will see when we uh, study his view of marriage. We will see not only was it not conditioned by the culture, it was countercultural. What he taught about marriage was different from what the culture taught. It was radical. And we will see that uh, in the next several weeks. But still, with that, he did not root it in his culture. He rooted it in, in creation, just like Jesus did. So today, to deny that marriage is between any other than one man and one woman is to, first of all, redefine the Scripture that it's no longer applicable. And as I said earlier, forget being valuable because you're made in God's image. If you're going to throw out that that is so tied to creation. Secondly, it would redefine creation and creation order. The restraints that are there not only between the sexes, but also between species. And I'm sad to say that if same-sex marriage is okay in a society, the other restraints are going to be gone. There's nothing else to restrain. Because what is your standard? 
What's acceptable today? Well, look, what's acceptable today we see in our state wasn't acceptable three months ago, ten years ago, fifty years ago. That's not going to work. Thirdly, it would redefine the intimate relationship between Christ and the church. Do you remember? He said, Paul said, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Christ and the church. The bride and the bridegroom. We are His bride. How does that even fit to have two brides or two grooms? Impossible. It destroys the image of what it is illustrating to the world. The clearest reading of the Word of God, front to back, from Genesis where marriage is instituted to the wedding supper of the Lamb, which is between Christ and His bride, is that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that is the case for all humankind. Now, I have to acknowledge some of you who are listening are discouraged. You may be in a same-sex relationship. I would never say that I have an easy answer for you. I wouldn't say that. In fact, following God's way is not not easy. In fact, outside of Christ and outside of the filling of the Holy Spirit, Following Christ is impossible. Some in the news media, some in some of the uh, studies and so on would say that, wait a minute, people can't change. If that's their tendency, if that's their inclination, they can't change. Well, I will say this. That comes from Sigmund Freud, not the Word of God. It is only in the Word of God. We can't change ourselves. But God's Holy Spirit is more powerful than us. I've given you some resources, two books. There are many books, many good ones. I've given you a website. The second book that's listed there is by Rosaria Butterfield. She was a tenured professor at Syracuse University, a sought-after speaker in women's studies. She was a lesbian activist living in a long-term relationship with a female partner. And over time, over a great deal of time, through a Christian couple that befriended her. They didn't start out trying to change anything. They just became her friend. They had her into their home. They talked about all kinds of things. They became neighbors to her. And they were honest with her. Over a great deal, deal of time, 
Her whole world was turned upside down when she began to realize that Christianity, which she found to be a problem in this world, she was writing a book against it, researching it. She found it not only to be wrong, but to be damaging from her perspective. But over a great deal of time, she began to realize that the God of Christianity may be who He says He is. Some 16 years later, she has a husband and children and a deep love for Jesus. She met the one who is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The only one who could help her really find herself, not her orientation, her real self. Now those resources down there are private. You can look them up and no, nobody else will know. That's why I put them on there. But if you're struggling with what was said today, or if you need clarification, I am willing. I would love to sit down and speak with you. I'm not a therapist. I can't change you. Not going to try. I'll just talk out loud with you and see if I or we can come alongside of you in this difficult journey to walk with you. But know this. If Jesus ascended to heaven victorious, if Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, there is nothing that is too hard for Him. Let's pray together. Thank You for Your Word. Will You cause Your Spirit to show us that which is true? And filter through, Lord, please, please, anything that I've said that isn't right so it wouldn't be a distraction from the truth of Your Word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.